How come a few of you cringed when you saw me come into the pulpit? It's, it's not fair. Now, we have a special guest. Raul Viegas is here. Um, as many of you know, he was with us for the summer. He uh, interned here, and now he's going to be coming on full-time with us for the spring and the summer. So middle of January, he'll be here, but he uh, came here to visit, and he's going to bring the message. So it's all you, Raul. Sweet. Thanks, sir. Hola. Buenos días. ¿Qué tal estáis esta mañana? Espero que habéis estado muy bien estos tres meses pasados. Os puedo asegurar que, ex, que os extrañé muchísimo mientras en España. Seriamente, estoy encantado de estar aquí con vosotros. Siempre es bueno volver a caras, ver caras familiares y queridas. He regresado a, un, a uno de mis favoritos lugares, a personas que me importan mucho. He regresado a un lugar que le puedo llamar mi casa. A todos, muchas gracias por el apoyo que me disteis en mis viajes. Aún estando a través del mundo, su amor era demasiado evidente. Definitivamente era lo que me motivó diario. Y sin embargo, os quiero dar las gracias por la oportunidad de estar aquí esta mañana con vosotros. Surely, you guys were all expecting that, right? <laughs> I mean, I couldn't come back to the States after being in Spain for three months and not throw a little Spanish at you. I was actually very tempted to do this entire sermon in Spanish. I mean, it would only be proper, right? But I convinced myself that that probably wouldn't be the most effective way to present my sermon, for obvious reasons, of course. But if you'd care to know what in the world I just said, I hope your neighbor speaks Spanish. Or you can just ask somebody who speaks Spanish. No, I'm only kidding. I, I'll be nice enough to translate it for you. Good morning. Good morning. How are you all doing this morning? <laughs> I hope you have all been well the, 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 the past three months. I can assure you that I've missed you very much while I was in Spain. I am seriously happy to be here with, with such a beautiful group of people. It's always nice coming back to familiar faces, faces that I dearly care for. Truly, I have come back to one of my favorite places, to a congregation who is, who, who is significantly important to me. I have come back to a place that I can call home. To everyone here, thank you for the support you provided me with while I was on my trip. Even though I was across the world, your love was extremely evident, and it was definitely what motivated me on a daily basis. Nonetheless, thank you for the encouragement, and thank you for the opportunity uh, to be here with you this morning. My trip to Europe was, was truly one of the most uh, rewarding experiences of my life. The rich culture, the architecture, 
That was some of the most spectacular architecture uh, that I had ever seen. And to think that those buildings were built before we had all this modern technology, and most of the buildings were even built before America was founded. And the food, the food was excellent. Well, most of the food. A good example of, of, of a delicious food would be the Belgian waffles. I really wish I could have had one this morning. And I really wish you guys could have had one this morning. It's truly a life-changing experience. But as far as the Spanish food, I wasn't too impressed. I'll stick to the richly flavored Mexican food and green chili. How I miss green chili. And of course, above all else, I can't fail to mention my beautiful fiance. I proposed to my sweet girlfriend, Alana. I still have no idea how she said yes, but nonetheless, she said yes. And I can go on and on about all of the things I experienced in Europe. However, we don't have sufficient time. So if you are interested, we can talk after the service. But as I thought about how rewarding this experience was for me and how blessed I am by all of you who supported me, it struck me how easy it is for me to thank God for the life that I have. And I thought, would it be this easy for me to affirm my faith with the loss of everything that I have? Would I still continue to uphold the fervor without the blessing poured out upon me? What is really the basis for what we believe in? What are the foundational reasons that we seek and pray to God? The true test of one's faith comes with a darkness that is wedded to silence when life becomes uncomfortable. So let me present you with a couple of questions. Is it possible for a human to believe in God without searching for rewards or fearing punishment? Have you ever thought about believing for nothing? Believing without payment? You see, by nature, we humans very often do things with the expectation that there will surely be a return or some kind of reward. In many situations, it can be described as an unconscious expectation. We hear and say things such as, what's in it for me? What do I get out of it? You owe me. But should our faith be framed within our realm of expectations? Should our need for something in return dictate our belief? And do we really have the authority to expect anything from God in return? When blessings come, may we rejoice. And when trials come, may we also rejoice. I am reminded of Job and his faith that should entirely serve as a model for our own faith. Satan comes to God with a wager, an infamous wager. Can your humble servant, Job, continue to assert his faith and speak of your name in the midst of unjust suffering and loss? You see, if you go back to the book of Job, the poet makes very clear that Job has been abundantly blessed or richly blessed by God, for he has many possessions. He has land, he has livestock, 
a great household, we get the picture that Job is not a poor fellow. In fact, the text says, he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. I would argue that he is known as the greatest man spiritually, devout in nature, and fully committed to God. I can't help but to ask, does Job believe in the face of those blessings, those rich rewards? Take away the possessions. Is Job still capable of asserting God and his reign over his life? You see, Satan had a view of faith as a barter religion. Or at least that is how he presented it in the book of Job. In turn for believing in God, he will bless you and keep you from pain and affliction. That is to say, God would grant you the blessings and desires of your heart if you just believed. I wonder if that sounds familiar to any of us in here this morning. Do we believe on the basis of the blessings we have been given? Or do we believe with the expectation of more blessings? So Satan denies that Job can continue to affirm his belief in God. He believes that Job's faith is sustained by God's blessings. What is really Job's motivation for his belief? Satan argues that Job will turn and curse God for the suffering of the innocent. And for a while, Job does complain and he does cry out to God, questioning how an innocent man like him can face such great trials. But the author of Job, however, strongly believes the contrary. That Job is upright in his belief. Even in the midst of unjust suffering, his own and that of others, his uprightness will remain no matter the circumstance. And as we all know the story, God permits Satan to try Job. He accepts Satan's wager, and Satan begins to test uh, the faith of Job. And it would come to be one of the most intense, severe tests he would undergo. And we know that God loses the wager, right? Absolutely not. He actually doesn't lose the wager. Job proves that he can, in fact, believe aside from his many great possessions, aside from the rich blessings come from God. He is faced with great suffering, loss, plagued with complaints. However, he manages to remain upright. Now, if we really know the story, we know that enduring the pain as Job did was no easy or even comfortable task. On the other hand, it was a long process of, being, of bending and molding and shaping and forming. Job had been bound to the darkness that was mentioned earlier. A darkness that is completely opposite to the rich rewards he once had. It is a darkness that deeply stirred his soul. A darkness that provokes confusion, emptiness, emptiness, and silence. Many of us in here have been bound to this same darkness. 
But let us remember that the test of one's true faith comes within a darkness wedded to silence. When life becomes uncomfortable. And no matter what he had, or what he did not have, Job's faith did not deplete. And Satan's accusations of Job diminished. Job proved that faith without reward is in fact possible. However, this kind of faith must have been countercultural. We see this in, in Job's friends, in Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing those correctly. But they had the same conception of faith as Satan, as Satan did, and that is a barter conception. And with that, they also believed that any kind of punishment a person received was due to the sin that so engraved their life. And they beseech him, claiming that he is wicked so as to redirect him back to God's favor. They do this for seven days and believe that they are offering Job words of comfort. Of course God would punish such a man as Job. It is his fault he is receiving such a punishment. You see, they approach Job with theological debate and condemnation, condemnation that they themselves believed was just. And I think it's safe to say that those who are suffering from a physical affliction do not wish to so also be accused of committing a sin in God's eyes, especially when they can confide in their own innocence. And we all know that those who are going through a difficult time long to be approached with a theological debate. But for that reason, Job refers to his friends as miserable comforters. How would you take it if someone called you a miserable comforter? What Job's friends lacked was compassion. They lacked a sense of solidarity, living alongside Job in the midst of his affliction. And their insensitive nature, it stems from the distorted view that God, that he is a punishing and vengeful God. A God who blesses and a God who curses accordingly. You see, but the God that Job encounters is a God of unmerited love. A God whose love extends to the poor and disinherited of this world. A God who may not change your circumstance, but will be with you every step of the way. A God whose justice and love coexists, working simultaneously. You see, it's so easy to become distracted by the things that we possess. Things that in all reality have little value. But what a great example we have with Job. What led him to the unmerited love of God was believing not on the basis of a return or of a reward, but on the basis of a God who will walk with you through the darkness. A God who embraces you when everything around you is turmoil. A God who loves you when you cannot love yourself. Having expectations of God for your life can be a dangerous road to walk. May we look to God, not for our needs, 
but for strength and for solidarity. May we look to God as Job did, for unity and for conformity, for sanctity, and for most importantly, for love. I am also reminded of, of St. Teresa of Avila. You may have heard me talk of St. Teresa before, but actually visiting the places that she built in Avila, Spain, which is where I studied for three months, and seeing the way she would practice faith as a 16th century mystic was amazing, and really it was nothing short of inspiring. The influence that she had on Christianity is something to be respected. For 75% of her life, she, she was plagued with sickness on top of many other things that were going wrong in her life. Yet, when you read her writings, you can feel the passion and you can feel the zeal that she maintained despite her poor conditions. She did not necessarily live a richly rewarded life as Job did. But she also never expected God to bless her. She rather believed and relied on his strength in her life. She did not view the blessings of her life as the foundation of her faith. Some of her most famous words, and this is one of my favorite quotes, comes when she is locked up in a jail cell, sick to the point of death. The legend goes that she looked up to the sky and yelled, Vuestra soy, para vos nací. ¿Qué mandáis hacer de mí? That translates as, I am yours. For you, I was born. What have you sent me to do? You see, our faith should avoid convenience. It should avoid only seeking Him when we need something. Rather, our faith should be one that seeks to know Him more and know His purpose for our life. May our prayers slowly transform from a plead of God's intervention in our life to a more authentic plead of union and conformity with the blessed Trinity. You see, we have no right to put our Lord under any obligation to grant us sanctification or any other desires of our hearts for that matter. Rather, sanctification comes through a cooperation, a participation with God, with His Son, and with the Holy Spirit. If our prayers are that of a plea for intervention, for God to grant us something or change something in our lives, we will often find ourselves to be disappointed. However, if our prayers are more intact with thanksgiving, if they're more intact with praise, if they're more intact with lamentation, our souls will thereby become satisfied. It is then, it is in that transformation of our prayers that we experience a true sense of unity with our God. When we encounter hardships in our lives, we are faced with two options. Will we see the hardships as a way out? Will we see them as a way to quit pursuing our purpose and the purpose that God has for us? 
Or will we see it as a way to find strength, a way to mature our faith? You see, it's the hardships in life that present us with the opportunity to mature in our faith and in our relationships. And I close with this. May we not look to our Lord for blessings, but may we look to our Lord for life, even the cost is death. Let's stand and sing.